Welcome to episode 75 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jimstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, <laughs> if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed, but with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 75 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. 75 sounds like a milestone. It does. Yeah. Yeah three-fourths of the way to 100. There you go. <laughs> it just feels like a good number. It does. You know. It does. Happy 75th to you. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> How's everything in your life? Well, I've been like peeled or not, that's not the right word. I've been like um, staring at the weather channel for the past like three days because we're oh, is it storming? watching the hurricane. If you not, I guess oh. you haven't been watching it. I'm really bad with 
like what's happening in the world. Okay. Well, it's 24-7 Hurricane Florence. Of course, this will date the podcast. We record a couple of weeks before we um, before we air it. But yes, Hurricane Florence is like, you know, how they are on the Weather Channel. Everything is like, you know, storm of a lifetime. Yeah. But this one is supposed to hit South Carolina and come over to our area. So it looks like it's going to be pretty bad. So I've been watching it nonstop. Do you think schools will close? Not that you're at school. Oh, oh gosh, they already have. Oh. Um, yeah. Like um they've evacuated the entire coast of South Carolina and North Carolina already. <laughs> this is a big storm. You need to watch the news. If I had the news. Well, I guess yeah, I'd be on well, it. <laughs> you do. You have the internet. Yeah, they've evacuated like I don't know, millions of people and it's been on nonstop. So but the track is still it's it's really it's a really bad track and it's supposed to like be really stuck at the coast and so they're talking about really bad storm surge and really bad flooding and really bad destruction. It's category four, so this is not anything to sneeze at. We were supposed to go to Myrtle Beach this weekend on Saturday, and that is actually when it's hitting. So we we will not be going to Myrtle Beach. Anyway, it's it's gonna turn over and come over by Augusta, probably. We'll get some you know, the the wind and the rain from it. Will it hit Atlanta? That's where my family is. Yes. Yes, it's going to go over that. Right now, according to the best um, estimates, Atlanta will. I mean, it, they're, they're saying anywhere from three to eight inches of rain for us and Atlanta, depending on which forecast model you look at. That's a lot of rain. I want to be there. I like storms. Well, I don't know if we're going to like this one, but you definitely wouldn't want to be at the coast. So it's a it's it's a monster. So, you know, we'll after when this airs, we'll already know what happened. So I hope everyone stays safe and stayed safe, and hopefully it's not as bad as they're predicting. You know how they like to hype it all up, and but and, and hopefully it isn't as bad as they're hyping because otherwise it could be terrible. I have the one son that's in Savannah, and that's the part that's a little scary because he just went back to Savannah um, for college. And um, they're not evacuating Savannah yet. But now the storm may be turning that way, and they may get anyway. So we'll see what happens. Crazy. It is crazy. So what's new with you? No storms out there in L.A., huh? No storms. I talked about on the podcast how I have mercury toxicity. So I've done multiple chelation treatments. I'm I'm like in the middle of that. Well, how's how's that going? It's going really well. Like after I get it done, because the way it works is they hook you up to a an IV and they put in these compounds that basically bind to all different types of metals. <laughs> so it goes all in your body and pulls these metals out and then you excrete them. So it's kind of a crazy process, but um, it's been ups, ups and downs because I think it makes the heavy metals kind of, after it pulls them out, then your body kind of redistributes them. So... It's kind of like a an up and down process, but every time I get done, like immediately after, I feel like just this huge weight has been lifted. Well, that's um, good. So I feel really positive. Well, so, good. I'm glad. And then super random. Can I just talk about something? Okay. You know how there are, <laughs> there are like certain things in your life that when you use them, you're like, wow this really benefits me. Okay. Like that's how yes. I feel like every time I use my peppermint breath spray, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. that like all the listeners make now with the, the peppermint oil in the water. Like every time I use that, I'm like, this just benefits me. Okay. Yeah. There's something else I've made that every time I use it, I'm like, this is just so wonderful and everybody needs to use this. What is that? Okay. You know, makeup setting sprays. Um, yes. I'm familiar with those. It's like after you do your makeup, you spray it you on. You spray it on. And yeah. it basically keeps everything, you know, sealed. It was whenever I was doing um, camera work or being on set, it's just amazing for just making your makeup just stay there, like all, like, and stay fresh looking. I used to always use the Urban Decay All Nighter, which is uh-huh. absolutely amazing, but it does have like perfume, you know, scents in it and stuff like that. Did you know that if you just make a spray bottle and put half water, half witch hazel, it works like that? Nope. It will change your life. Well, I'll have to I'll have to think about that because I do remember my mother having witch hazel and like using it on her skin. Yeah, it's good for you too. Back in like too. the seventies, I remember that. It's amazing. I 
every time I use it, because I do my makeup and then I spray it on. It keeps my makeup set all day. It's good for your skin. And every time I use it, I'm like, oh, this is just so wonderful. I'm like, I need to talk about this on the podcast. And I remembered today. So so it feels like refreshing on your face. Is mm-hmm. that why? Yes. Yeah. And it keeps your makeup set. I'm the same way about scents. I don't like anything that's like really scented. I, you know, I like to use... I'm really, I have a very sensitive nose. My husband's always like, you know, <laughs> talking about how sensitive my nose is. Cause I'm like, what's that smell? And he's like, I don't even smell it. You know, <laughs> I smell everything. So I don't like perfumed detergents. I don't like wiping anything on my face that's perfumed. Like deodorant has to be unscented. I don't like any kind of scent. So I get it. Yeah, me neither. I was contemplating the difference between like when something says fragrance free versus unscented. Because sometimes you look, you turn it over to the back and it will still say perfume when it says one of those. Somebody just told me on my, they commented on my blog post the other day and they said they thought it was fragrance free means no, like no fragrance or anything. But unscented, they said it could have a scent to make it smell unscented. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So really fragrance-free is what we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, yeah. I've never never contemplated the difference of those words. <laughs> I have. But Just it, because it'll it say like sense. unscented and then I would turn it over and it would be like perfume. And I'd be like, um. That's the unscented perfume. Yes. That would be the unscented <laughs> yeah. scent. I just don't want to smell it. That's, you know. As long as I don't smell it, I'm good. So for listeners on the Stuff We Like page, and also on ifpodcast.com slash episode 75. I'll put a link to how I make this setting spray because it will change your life. You just get witch hazel. And then I put it in the um, the little cute little bottles that pe- people make the peppermint spray in. You have it in there? Mm-hmm. Perfect. All righty. All the hacks. The hurricanes and the hacks. Awesome. So I do have one sort of exciting-ish announcement for listeners. So... We've really got our Patreon account up and running. It's basically a platform where audiences and supporters can help support creative projects that people are creating. That was a lot of like repeating of supporters supporting and creators creating, but I hope hopefully you guys know what I'm talking about. But basically, if you go to patreon.com slash ifpodcast, you can pledge like any amount of money that you would like to help support the podcast. It can mean it can be like a quarter. It can be as much as you like, um, but it's on a monthly basis. And then um, that really helps make our podcast possible um, and support the the time and research and everything that goes into creating the podcast and getting the content out to you guys each and every week. And so we also came up with some tiers because and some incentives for people. So if you pledge a dollar or more per month, you are an IF fan and you will have our undying appreciation. So I know that that's not a material quote reward for, for that, but it really, we really do appreciate any support. And it doesn't even have to be a dollar. It can be, you know, a quarter, it can be a dime. We really just appreciate it. Fantastic Fasters. So that's $5 or more per month. So you have our undying appreciation. And also you will get a shout out on our website, which is ifpodcast.com. And we're going to basically create a, um, a donor list there on the website with supporters of the podcast. For $25 or more per month, you are a fabulous friend and you will have our undying appreciation, a shout out on our website. Also, we can guarantee that we will answer your question on the podcast um, within a month. So we do get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of questions and we do try to answer as many as we can via email and on the podcast, um, but it's just not possible to answer every single question. So if you would like to guarantee getting your question on the podcast, then that might be something to consider. And then lastly, we have the all the things tier. So um, if you can pledge $50 or more per month, you will get our undying appreciation, a shout out on our website, the guaranteed question answered on the podcast, and then also a 30-minute personal call about intermittent fasting with either myself or with Jin. So again, for that, that is patreon.com slash ifpodcast. So thank you in advance so much for all of that. It really, your support really could help make this podcast possible. Fabulous. So shall we jump into everything for today? Yeah, let's get started. All right. So to start things off, we have a listener question from Karin. And the subject is groceries. And Karin says, 
This is more of a question to see if others have this same thing happen. Since starting intermittent fasting, I've noticed I'm buying less groceries than before, but I'm still buying more than I use or need every week. It seems to be a habit that takes time to change. I usually shop one to two times a week. I assume this will adjust over time and I will come to shop the right quantity of food each week and I wondered if this has been a common thing in starting IF. As a side note, I've been IF for about a month, usually a five-hour eating window. I feel great, I'm amazed at how little I'm hungry, and feel my hormones and awareness of satiety have stabilized pretty well. And it's eye-opening that hunger is no longer an emergency, need to eat now, that hangry feeling. It's gone completely. I love listening to you both, and thank you for all the groundwork and humor and experience you both provide to us listeners. What are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah, I love it, Karen. Um, I'm glad you're doing so well, and I'm glad that you're noticing that, um, yeah, hunger is not an emergency. That's that's the best thing, and we can just go through the day and feel great. No more hangry. Um, anyway, yes, people do have to adjust to you know their new normal over time because what you used to buy and what you need now definitely are it's different so um yeah it is a habit that you're just going to have to change and this is where having the meal delivery companies have really made a difference for me and um you know having the the one great meal every night that I cook and so I only have to go to the store here and there for something, you know, random that I might need. Like, for example, the meal we're going to have tonight came with a cucumber, and I don't like cucumber, so I went and got a zucchini instead. (laughs) Just that kind of easy swap out. But over time, you'll figure out what is just the right amount of food for you. And you may even find that you may want to go, you may go to the grocery store more frequently instead of just once or twice a week and, and get like a little bit every time of what you're in the mood for having. You may find that that Maybe a pattern that works for you, or you may find that um, that you go less frequently and you stock up. But we buy different things now than we used to. Like we always used to have hot dogs around. I mean, we haven't had hot dogs in probably a year and a half. Well, we used to always have them. My husband would eat them. I would eat them here and there. We we don't buy all these different snacky things that we used to always have sitting around. That's that's the biggest change, the snacky foods. And you know, you would like cheese. I love cheese, but I can't buy as much. I have to buy small little packages of cheese. And even so, I do end up having to throw things away sometimes that I didn't just didn't get through. And that's that's something that um you know, sometimes some of us have a hard time throwing away food. So you may just have to, you know, learn to buy smaller, smaller packages. All right, what do you have to say, Melanie? Yeah, so I guess this comes down a lot to what your family or your living situation is. Because if you're like me, living alone, just you to take care of, all the food, it's like not really a big deal to shop on a more daily basis. So I literally go to the grocery store every day. I have gone to the grocery store every day for the past, I don't know, years. Like there, if I don't go to the grocery store, I kind of freak out. <laughs> um, so like the way I shop is, well, something that does work for like figuring out like the long term and not wasting. So I shop a lot at Costco. So I'll go like once a week or so there for the frozen foods. So lots of, well, not as much fish anymore, but lots of like frozen fish, um, frozen meats, things like that. So then you don't have to worry at all about how much you need for a given week because it does last it's in the freezer. So, um, you just do it. You just buy it in bulk. You don't really worry about how long it'll last and you just use it as needed. So I do that. And then I go daily to the grocery store to get, um, fresh produce and things like that. I like getting it really fresh and I use it immediately. There's really barely not really any food in my pantry at all. The only thing in my pantry is seasonings. Um, seasonings. <laughs> There's not any packaged foods uh, with the exception of, I think I have some like coconut milk, but mostly it's just seasonings. So I use the, the refrigerator a lot. So something I was going to suggest if you are like me, not with a family and everything, trying to shop on a more immediate basis and using the freezer technique if you do have a family where, you know, you can't really be going to the grocery store every single day or something like that, then um, 
I would suggest there are like the meal plan, the meal services, like Jen said, there's also meal planning services, or you could just do that yourself where you try to actually plan out for the week exactly what you'll need. And then you do it all at once. And then you can kind of evaluate and see how it goes. Something else you could try. This is just a random idea, but you could try to undershop and tell yourself, okay, either undershop or this is exactly what I need. And then tell yourself if you need something else, worst case scenario, you'll go out and get it. And then you might find out that your undershopping actually is what you do need. Since the problem right now is that you are buying too much. So, so you could try a, a week where you try to undershop and that might actually be exactly what you need. That's a great tip. All right. We have an email from Aaron and the subject is so calm. There are a lot of O's. Thus, that's why I said it that way. <laughs> I thought you were just so calm. I, <laughs> I wish. Okay. Aaron says, hello, Jen and Melanie. I've been IFing for about two weeks and discovered your podcast about a week ago. I do have one question, but first wanted to share with you both a few things I've noticed during my brief IF experience. First, my fluid retention has dramatically decreased. This started almost immediately. But probably the most exciting thing I've noticed is that I am so (laughs) calm. My anxiety has almost disappeared. I'm not as moody and just feel so incredibly even keeled. I just wanted to share that. Okay, as for my question, Jen, you've mentioned a few times that you break your fast with something small, like an avocado, instead of breaking it with a full meal. And Melanie, you'll break it with some meat or bone broth. I'm curious why. I usually break my fast at work with a full lunch and wonder if I should be starting smaller. Thank you, Erin. All right. That's a great question, Erin. And first of all, I'm so glad to hear that your fluid retention has gone down. That is great. I know you feel a lot better with that because, you know, feeling all puffy and swollen is not a good feeling. Also, you're calm. I love that. That is absolutely true. How about you, Melanie? Do you feel like you're calmer and less anxious and less moody? Yes, completely. A hundred percent until I got like the mercury toxicity and all the things and that all came back. Okay. <laughs> but well, um, in general, before that, yes. Yes, I'm so much more calm and just like, I don't know if it's, you know, that I'm just getting older and more mature and more chill. I don't know. But I, I do think that I'm a lot calmer, less high strung than I used to be. Um, although I do still have a lot of energy. <laughs> anyway, the question is um, if she should be eating smaller. So I want to say, Erin, you're two weeks in. And um, early on in the process, most of us find that we do eat more at first because our bodies are still getting into balance and we're still trying to balance our satiety hormones and everything. Your hormones are not totally into balance yet, and a lot of people eat a lot more at the beginning. So breaking your fast with a full lunch is actually what I used to do, too, when I first started. When I first shifted over, oh, by the way, um, my Facebook memory for yesterday was I was on, it was from 2009, and it was um, that I was on day five of Fast Five, which is a five-hour eating window. Isn't that funny? Those Facebook memories, they, they really, they'll get to you. It's like, I, oh, I didn't man. I get them. Like I've, I've mentioned before, I was like the last person in America to get Facebook memories. I just got them. I've had them less than, just I've just had them a few months, but nine years ago, I was... In 2009, I was, you know, playing around with with my first five-hour window. Anyway, I just had to pop that out there because that's a milestone. And, I, you know, you don't realize when things happen until they pop up on that Facebook memory. So it's like we're documenting our whole lives and <laughs> we can see them. Um, anyway, when I f- first went back to intermittent fasting in 2014, after all those years of off and on, off and on, off and on, um, I started with two full meals. So I have not always eaten the way that I eat now. So when I started, I was eating a full lunch and a full dinner within a five-hour window. And I still lost at the rate of about a pound a week since I was tracking my weekly average. The weekly average went down on average about a pound a week. So I'm not going to say you're doing it wrong. I'm not going to say you need to be eating smaller. I'm going to say that over time, You'll tweak it, you'll change it, you'll figure out what works for you. What I'm doing right now is what works for me right now at this point in my life. Is it always going to be exactly like this? I don't know. It's been working for me for a while just the same way. I open my window at some point after 4 p.m. 
most days. Then I have a little snack and then I have a full dinner. So that's just what's working right now at this stage in my life. But I firmly believe there is no wrong when it comes to structuring your eating window and how you eat within it. It's only a matter of what works for you and how how you feel best. So it's really early. So give your body time to adjust and then start really paying attention to how you feel. You might find that you feel better pushing that lunch till later and opening with a, a snack and then having a full meal later. But you'll know over time. It's not something you should know yet because, Lord, it took me um, years to get to the point where I figured out how I felt best. And as I said, it continues to evolve. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, I think that's great. And I don't always open with bone broth. The reason I do sometimes is I find that it's super healing for your digestion and your intestines and your gut. And so right when you open your fast, I feel like you're in a prime position to just accept all that nutrition and really heal your gut lining. So that's why I really like opening with bone broth or something like that, especially when it's colder. In general, for me, it doesn't really come down as much to food quantity as it does to the nature of food combining and how that affects the digestive process. And this is very individual. So some people have really epic (laughs) digestion and can handle basically any combination seemingly of food. So they could really do like almost anything and, and be good the next day. But For me, and I think a lot of people in general can just benefit from finding the combinations of foods that will support the perfect digestive state because different foods require different enzymes and the way you eat affects the production of enzymes, the production of stomach acid, and it's really complicated. We might actually have an episode in the future where we have some guests who talk about this specifically, which would be really exciting, but... um. I do think it's important to find the food combination pattern and the amounts of food that will create the best digestive state. And for a lot of people, that means starting smaller and then working up to you know, the larger meal, or it means starting with more easily digestible foods and then working up to the more you know fatty and protein foods. It might mean having fruit first. It might mean having fruit last. It's really individual, um, really complicated, but that's where my mentality comes from. I usually often open up with like a glass of wine and then easily digestible like cucumbers, light salads, things like that. And then progressing to more like the more the meat of the subject, pun intended. So the actual like meat, the fats, things like that. And then I like to have like pineapple for dessert, which helps with my digestion. And I love fruit. That's just me. That's where my reasoning is coming from. Yeah, and I find mine just changes seasonally. And um, lately, I've been on an olive kick. Isn't that interesting? Like, I was doing all the guacamole, all the avocado during the summer, and now I'm like, give me all the olives. So lately, I've bought at our local Sprouts, they have an olive bar, and they have this like black olive, green olive, feta kind of a mix. And I've been having that and also olive tapenade on top of cream cheese with crackers. Mm, I don't know. Some For some reason, I'm craving the olives. Do you like olives, Melanie? We talked about this. Oh, remember? that's right. You don't like olives. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> don't like olives. It's hard to keep up. Hard to keep up. It's funny. You said olives, cream cheese, and crackers. All three things you don't like or eat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is like really hitting the spot for me, and it's delicious. You probably did not grow up eating olive and cream cheese sandwiches like I did. I did not. Yeah. My mom used to make those for me. Man, they're good. But yeah, put a little olive tapenade on top of cream cheese and spread it on a cracker. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) I have nothing to say. Well, I do. um, I went to Sprouts the other day to see if they had kangaroo. Like like kangaroo, like for real? Yeah, because in Atlanta they had um, ground kangaroo at Sprouts. Okay. But they don't out here. All right. Okay. That's interesting. So they, But they gave me the card of the meat department <laughs> man, and I'm going to call, and they said they can probably order it for me. It's really interesting. Apparently, it's a, it's red meat, but uh-huh. it's super lean, like, like leaner than chicken even, but it has the benefits of red meat. Right. You see, this is what's so interesting because I'm sitting here feeling this like, oh my God, who would eat a kangaroo? But, you know, people all over the world eat different animals. And they're probably like, there are people in the world who are like, oh my God, who would eat a cow? Who would eat a whatever? It's just what we eat 
<laughs> and I'm like, a kangaroo? But yeah, but it, meat is meat, right? Apparently, there's there's an, a kangaroo overpopulation problem in Australia. Yeah. So this is well. Benefiting. I mean, honestly, if you're if you're anti meat because of ethical reasons, I certainly appreciate that. But you would be anti you would be anti all meat, not just kangaroo, right? And we've been talking about chicken like it's nothing. We talk about beef all the time. So I respect an ethical. You know, not wanting to eat meat for those reasons a lot. And kangaroo would fall right under that. But my point was, it's interesting that I feel differently about kangaroo than I do about chicken, <laughs> you know. And there's there's no there's no rhyme or reason why I'm like, oh. And, you know, kangaroos are kind of mean little suckers. If you ever have watched um, America's Funniest Home Videos, and there's a kangaroo, he's going to kick somebody. I know. <laughs> it's going to knock them in the, in the river. <laughs> I know. Um, but I did buy – they did have um, – ground they had two things ground boar which i've never had have you had that i I don't know if i've had that or not i grew up in the mountains of virginia so we ate all sorts of of different meats but i may have had boar i don't remember i've certainly been to a hog killing so okay (laughs) it wasn't boar but (laughs) well i didn't buy that instead i bought they had um ground venison which i i don't don't, i'm not a fan i've only had deer once that i remember and it was when i was young so I remember my grandmother made us spaghetti and it was really good and she didn't tell us what was in the it. Meat was. And then she told See, us at the was, end and I like wanted to cry. Mine was the opposite. I was at somebody's house and they made spaghetti with it. And I was like, this is the grossest spaghetti I've ever had in my life. And at the end they were like, that was dear and you didn't even know. I was like, no, I just thought it was gross. I didn't say that. I was too polite. But I was thinking it. I was like, I knew something was wrong with it. So I will love it then. That's how I know, because you don't like it. There you go. And I, lo- I loved that spaghetti when she made it. I did so. not. Uh-uh. Well, yeah. I'm really excited. It's sitting in my, f- my freezer. going to try it. Well, I hope that you love it. Me too. And I'm going to get some kangaroo. Okay. We'll report And back. I really want to try it. Um, I was talking to a friend who was from Trinidad. Uh-huh. Goat. You're going to say goat, aren't you? No. Crocodile? Oh, hmm, no. Now, they eat a lot of alligator um, down in certain parts of the South, like Louisiana especially. I've never had it. He said he said it's actually – he said it's a white meat, and it kind of tastes like fish. And he said it's lighter than chicken as far as, like, tough, how tough it is. Mm-hmm. They serve it on carnival ships as an appetizer, like, I think, a, a gator fritter of some sort. I've, I've never ordered it. Whenever – I was in Florida all the time growing up. It was always on a lot of menus. So it probably has really high mercury now that I think I about know. it. Because they – oh, no, wait. Gators don't – do they eat fish or do they eat like – um they eat like animals, right? I don't know. They might eat fish too. Small animals, yeah. They, they get what they get. I wouldn't be surprised if they ate fish. I don't really know. That's like all I think about now. I'm like, does this eat fish? Is it high in mercury? <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Shall we jump into the next question? Yes. This is from Colt, and Colt's subject is cycling on and off intermittent fasting. And Colt says, my name is Colt from Seattle, Washington. I'm a natural bodybuilder, work in a warehouse from 8 to 5, run an online business, and I perform stand-up comedy. Colt, I love it. I will say, <laughs> Colt, do you know? Do you recognize the name? I do not. He posts a lot on like Instagram about like one okay. meal a day and, and intermittent fasting, and he's really involved in my paleo one meal a day group. Oh yeah, tangent. If anybody is interested in a um, a paleo approach to intermittent fasting, feel free to join my Facebook group. It's called Paleo One Meal a Day. But yeah, I recognize Colt from that and from Instagram, and so hi Colt, just shout out. <laughs> Well, hey, Colton, if you're in my group, I'm sorry that it's not popping up in my head, but I've got like 110,000 combined members, so <sighs> he might be there. But if you're there, Colt, hello. If you're not, we're We're just join us. approaching 1,000 now, so more yeah, boutique. Yeah. It's easier, <laughs> yeah. You know, I forget things because we've got so much going on constantly. Anyway, um, I love that Colt does stand-up comedy. Anyway, Colt says, I have two questions for you, but first we'll provide some background. I have been intermittent fasting for over six months, initially to get lean enough for my competitions and have continued to do so because it has been helping me to maintain my leanness, build muscle, and of course, reap the many benefits of fasting that you talk about. 
I only recently came across your podcast and have since made my way through all of your episodes. I want to thank you for your insight into artificial sweeteners and branched chain amino acids while fasting. I suffered through many painful fasts pre-competition while chugging pre-workouts and branched chain amino acids. Not only is my fasting easier without pre-workouts and BCAAs, but I have actually had higher, more sustained energy levels as well as increased amounts of muscle growth. I am also consuming about 3,500 calories now compared to the 2,000 before my competitions. I am performing better at work. My writing for my comedy has become more creative, and I have been saving time by skipping breakfast and snacking. My schedule is waking up about 4.45 a.m., training with weights for about an hour and a half using Arnold Schwarzenegger-style training method six to seven days per week, going to work, taking my lunch at about 1.30 p.m. with dates or figs as well as fish. After work, I will eat mostly meats, fruits, and vegetables between and during meetings or at comedy clubs, and then close my window with sweet potatoes along with wine, Prosecco, or bourbon, always neat, most nights before going to bed. Closing the window with carbs has helped me to have better fasted workouts the next mornings. My plan is to continue intermittent fasting as a lifestyle. However, for the last two months of my bulk, I was thinking about eating throughout the entire day without any fasting in order to get my body used to having carbs all the time so I can get my metabolic rate as high as possible before I begin dieting again. As soon as my contest prep starts, I was planning to go back to my normal 16-8 regimen, hopefully using losing a good 5 to 10 pounds like the last time I switched to IF, and then continue shrinking my window gradually until I step on stage. Most of what I eat is paleo-friendly with a few treats and dairy products on occasion. My questions are as follows. Do you see any red flags or anything that I could be doing better as far as fasting and eating methods go? And two, what do you think about my idea of cycling off of IF for two months to set myself up to diet again? Will it be effective or is it unnecessary and a risk for regaining the fat I worked so hard to lose in the first place? My apologies for the long email. Thank you so much for all the fantastic information. Colt. And before Melanie answers... I want to just say shout out to Colt. I'm so happy to read that um, your fasting is easier without the pre-workout and the BCAAs and that you've actually had higher energy and better muscle growth. See, I love that so much because so many people new to intermittent fasting think they have to have these products that are being sold to everybody, like these pre-workouts that weren't even around, you know, a year or two ago. And now hearing that he's had great muscle gains after dropping those products made me so happy. All right. And the fasting was easier. All right, Melanie, what do you have to say to Colt? Yeah, no, I really love that. And to speak to what you just said, I think people, they, yeah, they really have this fear that they really need these products and that that's the only way to do bodybuilding and to create this certain physique when really we're finding more and more that an intermittent fasting pattern can really support a healthy, (laughs) natural way of building pretty epic bodies, even with bodybuilding. So that's wonderful. Um, So Colt, so lots of questions, lots of information in here. So for your first question about, do we see any red flags or anything you could be doing better for fasting and eating? I mean, I really like, I I really like what you're doing. You're feeling good. It's working for you. You're, you don't seem to be stagnating. That was something I was going to ask if, if you are stagnating, then maybe you'd want to tweak something, but it seems that if it's working for you, I don't see any reason to change. You know, like if it's not broken, no need to fix it. I think that's just overall good advice. You know, if, if it's, I don't see any red flags at all. No, I, I think it's fabulous. You know, he feels good. He's having the um, the muscle gains that he's looking for. He's happy. It's working well. That That's, that's the really the gold standard of what we want. For the second question, you have um, this idea of cycling off intermittent fasting to boost your metabolism by taking in a lot of carbs basically throughout the day. So I do have, I have a lot of thoughts about this. Okay. This is just me. And I'm going to straight up refer you to, to some sources that know a lot more about this than I do. So that would be 
Martin Bear Martin Bearkin, I think is how you say his last name. He runs the Lean Gains website, so that's all about bodybuilding with intermittent fasting. There's tons of information there, and he has a lot of protocols, a lot of posts. So I would definitely check out that. I'd also check out. We talk about Ori Hoffmeckler a lot on the podcast. He has a lot of books all about this, <laughs> um, including coupled with intermittent fasting. He has a lot of protocols. He does have some protocols that include daytime eating patterns as well, but it's it's typically um, lighter type eating rather than eating a ton throughout the day. And he also talks about if you are going to eat around muscle building activity and stuff, the types of foods that he does advocate. But in general, he's a pretty big advocate of intermittent fasting. So he has some books. Um, one that you might particularly like to read is Maximum Muscle, Minimum Fat. So for listeners on ifpodcast.com slash episode 75, I'll put links to all of these resources. You can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like, and there are links there as well. But that said, here are just my my thoughts, just um just my go-to thoughts at the beginning. So I feel like Cole, I could be wrong, but it seems to me that you feel like regardless of the fact that intermittent fasting is working so well, you still feel like you somehow need to go back to this more standard eating pattern because that will benefit you more or benefit your metabolism. And I don't know if (laughs) how true that is or how much that is just us reverting back to the ideas we've been told by by society for so long about metabolism and carbs and eating constantly throughout the day. So it's hard to distinguish between those two. I will say that it is much more difficult to train the body to burn fat than to train the body to burn carbs. <laughs> if that makes sense, like our bodies are pretty good at training at burning carbs, so I don't really see the need to teach the body to burn carbs by eating all the carbs. Like, I don't think that we really need to do that. It's more maintaining our fat burning status, which is harder to get to and something that's really important to maintain. And that's why intermittent fasting can really maintain that. So something I would suggest, and this is totally just me, but maybe instead of eating carbs all the time, all throughout the day, maybe instead changing the composition or the calorie intake of your eating window or the eating window itself. So I would suggest maybe instead of eating carbs throughout the day, maybe you you go through a period where in your eating window, you, you go super high carb, um, maybe super high carb, lower fat. If you do like super high carb, super fat as well, that is going to be a very potent weight stimulating signal to your body. And as Ori often talks about eating fats in combination with carbs can really mess with our metabolic flexibility sometimes depending on our goals and how our body is set up. So something that you might benefit from is like going really high carb, but maybe a lower fat approach in your window, or maybe just bumping up the calories in general during your eating window. If your goal is to really stoke the fires of your metabolism, something else and then I don't know how Jen will feel about this, but you could also try maybe if it's about metabolism and all of that, maybe something like Jen's not going to, I don't know how Jen will feel about this, but I know what you're going to say. You're going to say coconut oil and MCTs, aren't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I was going to say like a ketogenic type MCT fueled state during the day so that you are really, you're taking in calories and you're running on that, but it's a very ketogenic approach and then maintaining your window. And this of course for listeners is not intermittent fasting in the way we typically talk about it. But I think for specific goals and for tweaking and for bodybuilding and physique, you know, you can try different patterns and see what works for you and um, try different things at different times. So I'm, I'm not anti taking breaks from, from fasting necessarily, if that's going to help him meet his goals. So um, what would the purpose be of doing the, the coconut oil? What, what would that give him that you think? Just, just increasing his calories is. I'm just wondering why, what that was the purpose was. Because from what I'm reading, it seems that he would like to really get his metabolism into a state where it's his metabolic rate will be really, really high. And so then when he goes back into his other method, then he'll drop the weight like right before the competition. Um, that's just what I'm. That's what I'm thinking he's wanting to do. And so I'm just trying to think of a way that he can really boost his metabolic rate without necessarily putting on all this fat. Right. 
you know, because, because he talks about, um, well, he has this idea, he has this um, worry that maybe if he does do this, that he'll just gain back all the fat and then have to lose yeah. it again. When I think what he's really trying to do is boost his me- metabolic rate. And so I think the safest way to do that, just from like the studies that I've seen and everything, would be to boost it by adjusting within the eating window still. So he's like really getting his bo- the metabolic rate up there and getting his body used to burning a ton of calories without necessarily storing a lot of extra fat per se. Or with the MCT oil, then his body is, in a way, being forced to constantly burn and utilize calories. So he's burning a ton, but he's not going to be storing fat as much. If All right. I was just wondering what the reasoning was for that. Um, I actually did some, and this, this is a little bit off the subject, not completely, but the whole idea of MCT oil raising your metabolic rate, I, I read the studies on that. And um, I analyzed them. I can't pull out the numbers right off my the top of my head, but I analyzed those studies in my blog post about coffee on jenstevens.com. And um, the amount that your metabolism is boosted from the, the MCT oil is actually less than the amount of the energy contained in the MCT oil. I just thought that was interesting. But he's he's not trying to burn fat. So that's a, a different kind of situation. But for people who are, are thinking that you know, drinking MCT oil or whatever is going to boost your metabolic rate and help you burn fat, you're actually boosting it less than the amount of energy you you, in, you took in to boost it, if that makes sense. <laughs> the math does not work out in your favor if your goal is losing fat. But that's not his goal. His goal is just building. Well, I will say, so I did recently post that, that really long <laughs> post on the ketogenic diet, and I had a whole section on MCTs. And... um. I think I literally, I read every single study I could find on MCTs and it's really complicated. They find different things all the time and the studies are always comparing different things. And the problem is you can't change one factor without changing other factors. Oh yeah. The body is not static. Yeah. And it's it's very true that obviously if you are, have a diet and then you add MCT, so you're adding calories and that's all you change, then of course... <laughs> it's very highly unlikely that it's going to boost your metabolic rate enough to burn more than you just took in. Yeah. It's it's unlikely. But what most people do and what a lot of studies look at is they take a diet that's already stabilized and they replace the fat calories from other forms with MCT oil. And in that situation, people often do lose weight. Particularly if you have excess weight to lose, people lose more weight. Whereas in general, it seems that people who are more like lean might not, not see as much of that benefit. Also, time seems to be a thing. In some of the studies, people lose more at the beginning when they start using MCT oil, even in excess sometimes. Sometimes they do, sometimes they'll add MCT oil and they actually do lose weight because um, it does right at the beginning stimulate the metabolism, but the body's not efficiently using it and storing it either. So then they lose weight, but then over time, the body adjusts, becomes better at using that substrate. And so then it kind of stagnates. So it's really, really complicated. So I don't want to say like MCT oil is not going to automatically make you lose weight because it might, but it might not. And, um, it's really complicated basically, but for listeners, um, the studies really are fascinating. I'll put a link to my blog post. It's melanieavalon.com slash keto diet, I believe. So I'll put a link to that. But I definitely think there's a place for MCT, but it really depends on what else you're eating, on your lifestyle, on your fasting window. So many things. Exactly. And not just, don't just add it in thinking it's going to magically cause you to burn more fat. Right. I think it's very misunderstood. Because the study that I, that I analyzed, it does raise metabolic rate. I mean, it, it's very clear in that study, it does raise the metabolic rate, but not, not enough to counter, counterbalance the amount of the MCT in this one study. Well, yeah, interestingly, I think like every single study I read, because I, I probably read about maybe like 15 of them. Um, I think every single study I read, it did boost the metabolic rate, like almost every single one. Whether or not that affected fat gain or fat loss was dependent on the study, dependent yeah. on the participants, yeah. dependent on the setup. So crazy. I would just say to experiment. I mean, he um, he wants to. It really just depends on what you're trying to do. You know what your goals are. And I am not 
a bodybuilder, obviously. I don't know. I mean, I know there's different periods where they're trying to bulk versus cut. And I'm not an expert on that. And um, don't play one on TV. So (laughs) I really, I think the Lean Gains resource that you shared, Melanie, is a great one where he can find other people who are using intermittent fasting to, to do the kind of things he wants to do. That's what I would suggest. I, I would not, I mean, I, I tend to say, no, I wouldn't suggest just going completely off of intermittent fasting. I think a 16-8 regimen is probably still going to work. Just maybe changing up what you have within that window. I, that would be my advice. I would not recommend cycling off of IF for two months. But again, see what they say in the Lingain site. Maybe that's a, a a method that people are using all the time, and I just don't know it. Not on lean gains, I don't. Okay, think. see, see, I don't know. I don't, I don't go on there. That's not somewhere I frequent. Not that I mean, I think it's great. It's just not what I'm doing. I know it's a, it's a great site. All right. Well, thank you, thank you for the question, and we're going to move on to. Um, now I'm down here in Georgia, so I'm going to say Carolina, but it might be Carolina. So anyway, either way, it's a beautiful name. So Carolina, um, her subject is IF and antibiotics. And she says, hi, congratulations on your podcast. I really like it. I have two questions. One, when I don't sleep properly, I feel very hungry the next day. I've been doing IF for a while, 16-8. I start eating usually around 1 p.m. every day, and it's easy for me. But when I sleep badly, I feel very hungry in the morning. Should I eat when this happens? And number two, I am on antibiotics for seven days. Should I fast anyway? All right. So, Carolina, that is a beautiful name. So, when you don't sleep, you're very hungry. Should you eat? So, that's definitely a very common thing. When we don't sleep well, it is linked to... I mean, it's linked to weight gain, and I think that is often because it does really stimulate appetite. Because when we're sleep-deprived, our bodies look for energy, like instantly utilizable energy quickly, and we get really hungry. (laughs) So that's why people tend to overeat when they are sleep-deprived. I guess it depends how often is this happening. So if this is like once in a blue moon, I think, I mean, I think, I think it's okay (laughs) if you like, if it's like once in a blue moon, you didn't sleep well, you don't feel like intermittent fasting that day. I think that's totally fine. Like, I don't think we need to like completely stress out about all the things all the time. Um, I mean, for me, when in that situation, I just know that I personally feel better if I power through it. So I try to like look to my future self and I just know that I'll feel better in the end about everything if I do power through it, even if that means having a little bit more caffeine or something. I just feel better that way than opening early and then eating all day and then not feeling well from that. So then it's like being sleep deprived and not feeling well from all the eating. But you might be the type that it happens once in a blue moon. You want to start eating and that's fine. I mean, it's up to you. Then again, you do have a kind of early window. Um, Relatively speaking, you're opening it at one. Uh, when, whereas a lot of us, you know, are doing like a one meal a day situation where we're not eating till the evening. And so since you're window is so early anyway. I mean, I would, I wouldn't, I don't know how early you're getting up, but I would encourage you maybe to just power through. Something else you can know is that it it probably is, I mean, depending on what your weight is and where you are at, it could very likely just be a mental thing. Like, I don't know if you actually really actually need the food or if it's just like a craving from not sleeping well. So, I mean, it's, it's really individual. What are your, what are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah, that's that. So many variables, and like like you said, if it's very rare, that's different versus if it happens a lot. But I do agree that one p.m. I would try to power through it. But I actually found a study. I mean, there's there's tons of studies out there with sleep and hormones and that sort of thing. But we'll link this one in the show notes. But it absolutely over time, if you have um, sleep deprivation over a long period of time, you actually do have metabolic and endocrine function alterations in your body. So for example, it decreases your insulin sensitivity, and we know that's not a good thing. It increases cortisol in your body, and that's not a good thing either. But the reason you're hungrier is that it increases the levels of ghrelin in your body and decreases the levels of leptin. And so ghrelin is the hormone that tells you eat, 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 eat. 
And so sleep deprivation leads to an increase in that hormone. And leptin is the hormone that tells you, you know, don't eat, don't eat, don't eat, and it decreases that. So it is a very real phenomenon. Again, I don't know if if that would be necessarily something you would notice after one sleepless night. This may be more of a cumulative type effect where you've had like sleep deprivation over a longer period of time. But you know, we're also very different. It wouldn't surprise me if, if one person didn't feel that the next day. You know, someone could be extra sensitive to those effects and your body is more sensitive to it than other people. So th- I could certainly see that that might be true. So um, getting a good night's sleep is just really important. But again, like Melanie said, don't stress over it because stressing over not getting enough sleep makes the problem worse. This is so true. And I'm glad you brought up that study. I mean, that's another reason to power through in a way because if you're sleep deprived and then you're in a state of insulin, you know, you're not as sensitive, you're, you're not going to want to be eating in that state anyway, just for exactly. like metabolic health. Right. So and you're going to be, yeah, it's not going to be a good situation all around. So I, I might actually suggest if if you're in that state and you do choose to eat, you might want to choose a meal consciously that is going to more be better for your blood sugar levels and your insulin sensitivity. So that might be something where you might want to consciously do like a lower carb meal for that meal, a high protein, something like that. I didn't I didn't mention glucose tolerance, but it actually decreased glucose tolerance as well. So decreased glucose tolerance, decreased insulin sensitivity, as well as um, increasing cortisol and then affecting the hunger and satiety hormones. So it's just a, like the perfect storm of, of badness. Not, not good things. <laughs> no, we need to sleep. We need to sleep. All right. And then how about uh, Carolina's second question about antibiotics? What are your thoughts? See, that's that's one that you really have to handle on a case-by-case basis, and it depends on the antibiotic because there are definitely antibiotics that are fine to be taken on an empty stomach, and there are some that are absolutely cannot be taken on an empty stomach and they and it just depends on what you're taking um this would be the kind of conversation when people ask about medication questions i would always talk to my doctor or your pharmacist about about medications and whether they need to be taken on an empty stomach or taken with food and if you've got a medication that says it needs to be taken with food then by golly you do need to take it with food because there's a reason why they recommend that it be taken with food it might be too harsh for your stomach maybe it's metabolic better with food. So um, yeah, I can't, I can't answer what to do for antibiotics because they're not all the same. If it's one that is fine to be taken on an empty stomach and you feel fine, then, you know, go for it. But if it's one that says take with food, please take with food. I will say as a side note, I've talked about this a lot before, but I'm not a huge fan of antibiotics just in general, just as far as them being overprescribed. They're kind of prescribed all the time for everything rather than in certain situations where they're actually needed. And I think it's done a lot of damage to a lot of our gut microbiomes. But I will say that said, I did recently have to go on a course of antibiotics for an infection. So it wasn't, it really wasn't an option, (laughs) a bacterial infection, I will say, because antibiotics do not address viral infections. But it actually, I was like super worried and didn't want them at all. And Actually, it really, really helped a lot of things, like a lot of my digestive problems, and I'm oh, still, good. I'm still benefiting from it. So, I wish I had been more accepting of it from the, you know, when I was getting them, because that probably would have helped as well. But yeah, so I just wanted to bring that up because I just wanted to say that a lot of people are anti antibiotics and really worried about them, but they do occasionally have their, their place. And who knows, maybe you will. I mean, it's very possible that you will benefit from them in other ways, just depending on what's happening. So do you think that it um, helped your small intestinal bacterial overgrowth? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. Because I talked about on the podcast before about I was anemic and didn't realize it. Yeah. I had to get some transfusions for that. And the IV they gave me got infected very badly. So they put me on intense antibiotics, like IV antibiotics. Yeah. I think it really wiped out some of the bad invaders that were happening in my intestines. So the, the moral of the story is don't always be afraid of something, you know, like we were like, don't take antibiotics, don't take antibiotics, but there's a time and a place for them when they're useful and helpful. So everything has its place. And when you do make a decision to do something, I think just accept it and having a, a positive mindset will really, really help. All right. So I know we're at an hour, but 
I think for listeners, we're going to squeeze in one more question. Why not? Bonus question. Um, so our last question comes from Jen, and the subject is finding the perfect window. And Jen says, Hi, ladies. I love your podcast so much. I've only done intermittent fasting for a week, but I already feel fantastic. Here's my question. I'm trying to find the perfect five-hour window. I'm someone who starts my day very early, 5 a.m. I'm a teacher like Jen, and I go to bed at 9 p.m. If I open my window too early, I find I get really hungry really early the next day. My problem is I'm not someone who can eat late just before bed, so finding the perfect window has been difficult. Can you advise? Thanks so much. Right. What are your thoughts, Jen? This is a great question. And the part that jumps out at me is that Jen is new to intermittent fasting and she's only been doing it for a week. So those are such early days. And, um, you know, you're probably going to get hungry really early the next day, no matter what you do, just because your body is still adjusting to intermittent fasting. So this is one of those things that after your body adjusts, you won't have that problem, I would bet. And for example, back when I was teaching before I retired, I would, you know, I wouldn't eat breakfast and I wouldn't eat lunch and I wouldn't eat till I got home from school. And I had great energy and felt wonderful all during the day. And I also would get up really early, just like Jen does. And I would wait till I got home from work in order to open my window. And I just had great consistent energy all during the day. But it's just so soon to know how you're going to feel, Jen. And, um, you know, I would just... I would let it let it ride and see how it goes. And then, you know, I would open my window when I walked through the door pretty much, you know, 4.30. That, that was when I got into the habit of opening my window because I was home from work. So I would have my snack then at 4.30, and then I would have dinner after that. You know, if you go to bed at 9, if you have dinner at 5.30 or 6, hopefully that's not too close to bedtime for you. And that's really very much how I ate when I was working. Yeah, I have a few thoughts. So Jen, when you open your window early, you get hungry early the next day. I don't know if that's because your body's conditioned to open to eat early. So that's why you're becoming hungry early. Or if it's because when you eat earlier, you eat more earlier and you eat less later. So then you're hungrier again sooner, if that makes sense. Whereas if you opened it early, but you still ate a lot later as well, then you might not be as hungry the next day. Sorry, it's like a complicated nuance thing. Um, But I would suggest, so it's kind of funny. um, It seems like you're wedded to this idea of a five-hour window, and that's where the the problem's coming in because it's like, how do I have a five-hour window and not eat too late and not eat too early? Oh, yeah, it doesn't have to be five. It doesn't have to be five. No, I I missed that completely. (laughs) I think that's where the problem is. So forget the idea of a five-hour window because that's what's messing us up here, I think. Instead... I would suggest that find find the latest that you can eat and still sleep well because that seems to be your your problem is you can't sleep when you ate just before bed. So say that you want to be done by, you know, seven or so. How early, you know, would you want to open that lets you eat all of your food and feel satiated? It's kind of funny. My my suggested window was maybe like four to seven, which seems kind of similar to similar ish to what you suggested. Yeah. You know, a lot of teachers that I worked with that were doing intermittent fasting would have a snack at school. I just didn't want to have to fool with carrying around a snack. (laughs) What am I going to take? Where's my snack? What do I have to get? It was easier for me not to eat a snack. But a lot of people would have a snack during their planning time if it were in the afternoon, maybe around like two o'clock or something. So, yep. I would just say drop drop the five hour commitment and then find what works. Yeah. Again, though, I cannot emphasize enough that the fact that she's only one week into it your body is not not adjusted yet at that point. So you need a lot more time to know how your body's going to respond. And it's going to change over time. You know, as your the amount of fat on your body changes, your level of hunger will change. It's just, you know, it, it's hard to say one weekend what you're going to feel like even a month from now or two months from now. And you'll look back. I look back on when I first started and I'm like, oh, Lordy, why did I do it like that? But that, you know, that's that's what I was doing at the time. So you just adjust as you go and you figure it out. And what works for you best today is not going to be what works for you best in two years, probably. Or it might be. Oh, and I have, before we go today, I have something I need to say, Melanie, and it's kind of a funny story. And I'd like to apologize to intermittent fasting podcast listeners. Apparently, that episode a few back when the cat was in here crying, 
like has caused all sorts of havoc with people who are driving in their cars and thought there was a cat in their car. Oh, <laughs> I saw one thing about that. Yes, yes. Like one person, and it was really hilarious the way she told it in the Facebook group. But I was like feeling really bad because she like got out and looked around for the cat and she was looking for the cat and she <laughs> thought it was in her engine. And but. <laughs> and it was my cat, and you're crying. And I'm so glad I said, y'all, that's my cat, <laughs> because she's not alone. Other people were, like, driving down the interstate, and they heard the cat, and they're like, oh, my God, I have oh my a gosh. cat in the car. <laughs> that is so funny. But the funny. funny thing is, there's actually some Pink Floyd song, or some song, that has a cat in it. And I was listening to it one day, driving down the road. I just left my house, and it was playing through my Bluetooth speaker, and I did the same thing. I was like... Is that a is my cat under the hood? So I stopped the car and looked for the cat, and then I realized it was in the song. So <laughs> I apologize, listeners. <laughs> it's kind of like there's a song I don't remember what it was, but there's a song I used to always listen to, and there at one point in it there was like a like a police siren type sound. Yeah, and every time without fail, I'd be driving, I'd be like, <gasps> like yeah, freak yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, I'm sorry. Sorry about the cat. <laughs> But it, it it was like funny, but also I'm sorry that because I would be the same way. I'd be like, oh my god, where's this cat? in my you know stuck in my hood? And <sighs> I had to share that today. So, alrighty. So a few things for listeners before we go. So if you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, there are a few ways you can do that. You can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to our website ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. Also at that website, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 75, that's where, where we will put links to all the references and all the notes and all the things we talked about today. You can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. That's where we put a link to all of the stuff that we like, all the books, all the supplements, all the things. Like I said, if you go to patreon.com slash ifpodcast, that's where you can help support our podcast. Like I said, we do have a few different fun incentives there that you can look over, including having questions answered on the podcast and having personal calls with me and or Jen. Awesome. Also, if you're on iTunes, you can subscribe to our podcast and then you will get the episodes downloaded each and every week. You won't even have to do anything while you're on iTunes. If you'd like to write a brief review as well, that would be awesome. And you can also get our books on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So I um, Jen has Delay, Don't Deny, and Feast Without Fear, and I have What, When, Wine. So definitely check out those books, and if you are able to write a brief review of those books, it helps so, so, so much. Um, so yeah, I think that is all the things. Oh, lastly, you can follow us on Instagram. There's so many things. You can follow us on Instagram. We are IF Podcast, and you can follow us on Twitter. We are the IF Pod. All right. Any final thoughts from you, Jen? Nope. I think that was it. That was another great episode. Okie dokie. Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.